It's time for the most interactive radio program in Las Vegas today. It's time for Pushing the Limits with Brian Shapiro. Brian will talk sports, politics, entertainment, and anything that matters to you. Feel free to call Brian at 702-221-7283. You want answers? I want the truth! Now pushing the limits, here's Brian Shapiro. Pump that music up, man. I gotta wake up. Yeah, there we go. I gotta wake up. It's, it feels like a Monday today, but it's Tuesday. I don't know. My board op uh, is on 35 minutes of sleep. Producer, I'm uh, I'm on about three hours of sleep today. So we need we need some energy in the room, man. We need some energy. <laughs> Welcome. It is pushing the limits on a Tuesday. So glad you guys can join us. And uh, we got a lot to get to today, as we always do on this show, man. You know, I never pack it in, even on three hours of sleep. You know that. Uh, so there's a new comedy club that's opened up in the Art District downtown. And uh, the legend Sam Keniston, the late legend. Well, his sister-in-law is going to be coming in studio. She's a part of this new comedy club. She's bringing a very funny comedian in studio with her. Also happens to be... Her ex-husband, so that should be interesting. Alan Steven will be joining us. He's been on Roseanne, a number of shows, Arliss. He's going to be joining us in the studio as well. I love talking to these business owners about new clubs that are in town, so that'll be fun coming up in hour number two. Get to this uh, moron who bought this Tom Brady football for a half a million dollars thinking it was his last touchdown. <laughs> it's not worth as much now. Talk a little bit about that. New news in the Jesse Smollett case. You're not going to believe what his attorneys are saying, trying to get him out of prison. <laughs> They'll just use any excuse in the bag. It's unbelievable. We'll get to that in a little bit. So I know the NCAA tournament officially sort of starts today, even though it really doesn't. I mean, I know these are playing games and stuff. I'm not going to break down playing games in the NCAA tournament. I'm sorry, I'm just not going to do it. But tomorrow, our friend of the show, Chris Wynn, will be joining us in studio. We're going to have some very special guests and kind of do a little bit of Joe Lenardi Bracketology, the KSHP version of that, uh, will be tomorrow on the show. So we'll have some fun there, but I'm kind of going to hold off on the basketball stuff until tomorrow. But uh, a lot of stuff in the news, of course, a lot of stuff to talk about. And uh, I tell you what, man, the situation in Ukraine, those <laughs> they are not making Vladimir Putin look good for a lot of different reasons. So we're going to continue to monitor that story. But uh, those Ukrainians are defending themselves and defending themselves very, very well. Might I add. So looking forward to those very special guests we have in hour number two. You know, there's there's several people in life, in society, that I seem to almost always agree upon. Usually that's three people. I would say Howard Stern would be one of them. I almost always agree with him on everything. Larry David is another one. He's my favorite comedian, and usually everything he does on his show, Curb Your Enthusiasm, interviews, and so, you know, I, I seem to always side with him. And then there's Bill Maher. Now, I, I've had the luxury of meeting Bill Maher a couple times in Vegas. I've interviewed him several times. He was always nice to me. But the times I met him in person, he, he seemed to be kind of a standoffish, pukish kind of snotty guy. He rubbed me the wrong way. And I, I was like, eh, he sounds like kind of your typical Hollywood elitist guy. And I, I didn't like him personally, but I've always liked his show. I always found him to be an extremely intelligent guy. And for the most part, politically, I've always agreed with him. 
Somebody that I don't agree with who sadly has my same last name, the little weasel, also known as Ben Shapiro. I never liked Ben Shapiro. Uh, I don't like his politics. I don't like what he stands for. I find him to be very dry, very boring. And, uh, you know, I never liked him. But Ben Shapiro recently just interviewed Bill Maher. And Bill Maher, you know, he claims he's not really changing on things, but he is. And I've been really disappointed with his opinions when it comes to COVID, especially COVID. Because Bill Maher has always been one of those guys that uh, he just thinks what he wants to think and what affects him but not other people. And I think he's been very misinformed when it comes to COVID. So Ben Shapiro sat down with Bill Maher for a good solid uh hour or so, and I, I took some highlights from the interview, and I wanted to share some of them with you and then give my opinions on it. Listen, I disagree with Ben Shapiro when it comes to just about anything, but I've always usually agreed with Bill Maher. But after he did this interview, he made me sound like he's turning into a righty. I don't know. So listen to Bill Maher. This is the interview, part of the interview he did with Ben Shapiro, when he starts calling out left-wing media and misinformation about COVID. Have a listen to this. Right. I mean, there's a lot of silliness on both sides, a lot of bad information on both sides. Uh, I, I don't think the liberals liked it when I pointed out um, that I think it was something like 41 percent of Democrats when asked the question. I mean, and this was in The New York Times. They had Republican versus Democrat views on covid and something like 41 percent of Democrats when asked the key question, how many people who get covid need to be hospitalized, thought it was over 50 percent. When it was, of course, around 1%. I mean, that's a crazy number. To be off that much about the... No wonder they think you need a mask everywhere. If you think half the people who get it need to go to the hospital and it's really 1%, how did they get that bad information in their head? And I said, you know, Fox News and the right wing has a lot to answer for, for a lot of misinformation out there. I would put climate change as top of that list. But the left-wing media should answer for that. How did your audience get that bad idea in their head that so many people need to go to the hospital who don't? And, you know, as you started to say, I did an editorial about this about a month ago. Again, not well received by a lot of people, but I was just, again, giving the facts. We know who gets this and dies from this. Who gets it? Everybody. Everybody gets it, including if you've had the vaccine which they were wrong about. Okay, they weren't trying to be wrong about it, but, you know, my overarching opinion was modern medicine, it's wonderful, but you're wrong about a lot. Stop being arrogant. Don't look at me like we've got the white coat on and the stethoscope around our neck. Just do whatever we say, because when have we ever been wrong? My answer, a lot. Okay, so I have a lot to say to break down those comments. First of all, I've never spoken to a doctor or nurse or someone who specializes in infectious disease that ha- that I perceive to be arrogant. So I don't know what he's talking about. I think if anybody is arrogant, it's him. Because Bill Maher has zero medical expertise. And for him to say, oh, a lot of these doctors have been wrong, sure, no doctor's perfect. Sometimes doctors and medical professionals make mistakes. But I'll take my chances and I'll listen to them over political commentators or somebody like me. And by the way, I was in the hospital for two weeks and I almost died of COVID. What did Bill Maher have to go through when he had COVID? He had a cold. Now, he he made some statements there and he talked about this this poll that was out there. And I'm unfamiliar with it. I'd like to know how many Democrats were in this poll. And I guess he said that 41% of Democrats think that if uh, you you have COVID – 
half of you are going to be in the hospital. That's absurd. I've never spoken to any reasonable human being with an IQ over 20 that thinks that. So I don't know where they got this poll from. But I would ask Bill Maher this question. What do you think is more dangerous? Democrats that think the virus is more dangerous than it is? Or Republicans who downplay the virus, like the Donald Trumps of the world, or people who lie and say the vaccines are killing millions of people. It seems to me that Bill Maher is being interviewed by Ben Shapiro, and he seems to be attacking Democrats for being overly cautious, and that's more dangerous than people being underly cautious. I have a serious problem with that. I really do. And if you want to talk about misinformation, It's not coming from Democrats, and it's not coming from the left for the most part. It's coming from Fox News, the Tucker Carlson's of the world, OAN, Newsmax, those types of organizations. So he's wrong. Bill Maher is wrong. He's the one that's being arrogant. I will take the advice of infectious disease doctors wearing those white coats over somebody like you or some commentator in the media, left or right, any day of the week. Bill Maher is wrong. And Bill Maher got COVID, and he's now thinking about himself. It was a cold. It was no big deal. God forbid if people wear masks, nobody's going to die from wearing a mask. But if people during the heat of the pandemic were not wearing masks, and sadly many of them were not, people died. People lost their lives. Some of those people had to go to the hospital. Was it 50%? No, it wasn't 50%. But some of those people had to go to the hospital. Some of those people went on ventilators. And sadly, some of those people lost their lives. So I really don't understand what he's talking about. Okay, so there are some Democrats out there, I'm sure that take COVID uh, more serious. I mean, everybody should take COVID seriously, even now. But I'm sure there have been people that take it a little bit too far. Fine. Is that the problem in society? Is that the problem in this country? People that have taken COVID too seriously? Or has the problem been people that haven't taken it seriously enough when we've had four or 5,000 people a day dying of the virus? So he's wrong. Completely disagree with him. And then he starts talking about transgenders. And kids. And he made some really wacky comments there. Now, we know who's interviewing him, Ben Shapiro, Mr. Homophobia, Mr. Racist. Oh, why are you calling Ben Shapiro racist? Well, I'll tell you why. Because he takes every opportunity to attack Black Lives Matter. But when it comes to the January 6th insurrection, never talks about it. Okay, In my personal opinion, that's somebody who's racist. I think Ben Shapiro uh, is an elitist who gets paid $20,000 to make you know 20-minute speeches in front of a bunch of 18-, 19-year-old liberal college students, and when he defeats them in a debate, somehow that makes him extremely intelligent. I never really understood that either. But Ben Shapiro asked him about people being woke and, trans- woke and transgenders. Here's Bill Maher's response to that. I haven't changed at all. My politics hasn't changed. They've changed. People say to me sometimes, you know, have you changed? No. It's, it's that five years ago, no one was talking about defunding the police. I never heard that phrase five years ago. That's not me changing. That's things changing. I'm reacting to it, as I've always been. Um, you know, letting three-year-olds decide what gender they are. This wasn't something five years ago. Free speech, you know, used to be a, a left-wing thing that we were proud and owned. And now that seems to be under attack. So again, I'm, I think I've stayed the same. I disagree. And by the way, what is he talking about? What three-year-olds are talking about gender identity? What is he talking about? That's not true. You know, it's like the same people that talk about this don't say gay bill. They say, oh, well, 
you know, in our schools, they're teaching our kids at, at, in kindergarten about uh, transsexuals. No, they're not. Were you ever taught that when you were in kindergarten or first or second grade? I wasn't. What are these people talking about? That's not what that bill is. Teachers aren't talking to, to uh, three-year-olds about being transgender. What is he talking about? That is another right wing talking about. He's wrong. That's not happening. Now, middle school students, people that are kids that are maybe post-puberty, not pre-puberty, yes, they're being taught that it's okay to be gay. It's okay that if you identify yourself as this, we accept you. They're not encouraging it. What teachers are encouraging, and I think like to think what reasonable human beings are encouraging in society is be who you are. Don't be afraid to be who you are. That's that's what's going on here in society. Now, extremes on the right are making it that pe- uh, teachers and adults are putting pressure on young kids to be a transsexual or transgender or be gay. That's not true. That's a right-wing talking point. What many of these teachers and decent people are doing in society are trying to tell our kids, mostly high school kids, not three-year-olds, is that if you're gay, it's okay to be gay. It's okay to be who you are. You're no different than anybody else. If you were born a man and you want to be a woman or you want to identify yourself as a woman, there's nothing wrong with that. We accept you for who you want to be. That's what's going on here. And to any reasonable person who is not homophobic, they would have no problem with that. But Bill Maher, very disappointing, taking the right-wing approach and the extreme approach that is, by the way, not true. There's nobody that's telling a three-year-old to be to, to, about gender identity and being transgender. Nobody's doing that. Are there a few wacky parents that might be doing that? I mean, I guess. But that's not happening in society overwhelmingly. There's no doubt about that. And Bill Maher is wrong once again. That's not happening. That is an extreme that somebody like Ben Shapiro will think or spew nonsense or Tucker Carlson or Fox News. But I never thought Bill Maher would be doing that, and he's doing it now. And it's and like I said, it's really disappointing. And then he starts talking again about COVID, and this really ticks me off. He starts talking about Florida, in a way praising Florida. Listen to this. You know, Florida had the reputation, well-deserved, for life goes on. Um, and so that's why I chose to do it in Florida. And that's why, I mean, that's the one thing I must say. I thought I like that better. You know, I have a lot of quarrels about how this uh, coronavirus was handled. I mean, you can respect it and have compassion for the people who suffered from it and still have, as I do, and I I have made this very known to my audience who mostly doesn't like me for it, that I don't think it was handled the right way. Yeah, I mean, for for us, I mean, for my family, we actually moved mid-COVID from L.A. to Florida. And this is one of the reasons. I mean, in L.A., they shut down all the public parks. You couldn't take your kid outdoors. And then there were a bunch of riots. And it was like, well, if I could take my kids rioting, it would have been okay. But I couldn't take my kids rioting. So I had to be double quarantined in my home. I was quarantined for the virus and then quarantined because there were riots outside my door. And it was like, I'm getting out of here. All right. Yeah, I wish Ben would get out of the country. Get the hell out of the country. Again, another extreme that makes no sense. Nobody was locking you in your place. That's a lie. Were there some parks that were shut down uh, during the heat of the pandemic? Yes, absolutely. But what Ben Shapiro won't talk about is the Donald Trump rallies across the country. He won't talk about that, but another opportunity to attack the riots. And by the way, every Black Lives Matter protest did not turn into a riot. But if you talk to Ben Shapiro, he'll make it sound like that because he's a racist. That's why. That's why. And what again, what Bill Maher said is not true. He started saying how wonderful Florida is. Life went on. 
Well, let me give you a little statistic that will tell you that life did not go on for many Floridians. Life went on for most Floridians, but not for the over 71,000 Floridians who died of COVID. With roughly half of those deaths coming after June 1st, 2021. So no, life did not go on for everybody, Bill. And Florida is not the poster child of a great job of dealing with the pandemic. Ron DeSantis, there's a reason why so many people call him that. Because he was anti-mask, anti-vaccine, basically anti-anything that would save people's lives during the heat of this pandemic. But Bill Maher now goes on the air in an interview and starts praising Florida? I mean, am I alone here? Or is this absurd? Bill Maher doesn't have his facts right. And I can't believe I'm saying this because most of the time in Bill Maher's career, I've I've usually always agreed with him, but he's wrong. He's wrong with the pandemic. And and maybe you guys agree or disagree with me on this. Maybe you agree with Bill Maher. I don't know. Uh, Open up the phone lines if you guys want to be a part of the conversation. Am I I going too hard on Bill Maher? Number to call 702-221-7283. Again, that number, if you want to be a part of the conversation, that number is 702-221-7283. 7283. I usually agree with Bill Maher. I usually agree with him on a number of topics. But he's wrong here. He's wrong about uh, life going on in Florida because they are not the poster child of how to do it and how to do it right when it came to this pandemic. He's wrong. He's wrong about left wing media. Are there some Democrats out there that maybe overdo it with COVID and they wear a mask in their cars? Sure. Those people take it too far. I would, have, I would rather have somebody take it too far than not take it far enough. Because if somebody takes it too far and they wear their mask too many times or they wear three masks, it's not going to kill somebody, right? But if somebody doesn't take COVID serious enough and they haven't taken COVID serious enough over the last couple of years, people can die. And people, a lot of people sadly have died. That's the difference here. So I tend to go after people that have not taken this virus seriously over the last two years, uh, more so than people who take it too seriously. That's always been my opinion, and I always will feel that way. Again, the number to call is 702-221-7283. So yes, I do believe Bill Maher has changed. I do believe Bill Maher is turning into someone that listens to the propaganda on the other side, and I never thought I would say that, but I am now. You know, and speaking of people that listen to propaganda on the other side, you know, there's a lot of those people that watch Tucker Carlson, who I've always called a evil white supremacist sympathizing fool who cares more about his ratings and cares more about money than he does doing the right thing or saying the right thing. He's turned into one of her, one of Vladimir Putin's puppets, quite frankly, every night on his show spreading Russian misinformation, attacking the people of the Ukraine, attacking Zelensky. But this is his base, and these are the people that like Tucker Carlson. Well, Adam Kinzinger is a Republican, but he's somebody that I respect a great deal. And the reason why I have is because he stood up to the plate and he said, and he's voted what's right. When it came to Donald Trump, he voted for what's right. He wants to know what happened on January 6th. He wants to find the truth. And I thought he just did a great job in just dismissing Tucker Carlson yesterday. So he goes on social media. I guess yesterday Tucker Carlson had invited him on his show to talk about Russia, to talk about the Ukraine. Adam Kinzinger said no. I don't want to go on your show. And then he explained why. And I thought he did it so eloquently, uh, so much so that I wanted to play it for you. Here's Adam Kinzinger explaining why he refused to go on Tucker Carlson's show. I got an invitation to do Tucker Carlson's show tonight. 
And there's no way I'll go on his show for a number of reasons. But first, let me state that his insistence that the West was provoking war with Putin, his spreading lies about bio labs, and his continued spewing of conspiracy theories are nothing but complete evil. His show is full of Russian propaganda and not news. And I will not validate his show by making an appearance. I do not want to be associated with it in any way. And we all know what would happen. And we all know what the goal is. We know the interview would be promoted to get more viewers, to make more money, to further empower his garbage. And let's talk tactics. When Tucker interviews someone in a hostile way, he interrupts and laughs when he's been caught in a lie. And after the segment's over, he brings on another guest to try to discredit any statement made by the prior guest without counter. He's not interested in conversations. He's only interested in himself. And at the end of the day, he'll continue to use his platform to deceive his all-too-trusting viewers and to further his own sense of power. The situation in Ukraine is serious and the outlook is dire. And this moment requires serious conversation and decisive action, not a self-serving showboat clamoring for more clicks tonight. So rather than validate his propaganda programming, I'm going to use my effort to support the Ukrainian people. So if you're interested in joining me, please consider donating to the Stand With Ukraine Fund. It's at countryfirst.com, country1st.com. And 100% of the money raised will go to humanitarian aid for those still in Ukraine and for those who become refugees. Tucker has made it clear he stands with Putin and his war against freedom. I stand with Ukraine, democracy, and the men and women willing to fight and die for their country. Finally, Sophia and I want to offer our prayers for Benjamin Hall, a Fox News reporter injured in Ukraine. The job they do is dangerous and appreciated. This makes Tucker's position all the more disgusting. I, I got to tell you, that was so well said. And he said so many things and, and such great points. And if you notice, at the end of that video, he wasn't asking for donations to his campaign. Like so many people on the right, you know, Lauren Boebert and, and Marjorie Taylor Greene will put out videos and in those videos ask for donations to their campaign. How many times has those people on the extreme right asked for donations to help the Ukrainian people? Just about never. But at the end of that video, he asked for donations to help those people in the Ukraine. That's a classy thing to do. And he's right. That's exactly what Tucker Carlson does. He spreads misinformation, not just about Russia, but just in general. Blatant misinformation about the vaccines, misinformation about COVID. There are people on a much smaller scale that do that in this city. Wayne Allen Cook is a perfect example of that. I don't know how that station allows him to be on the air, but every single day he puts out lies and misinformation but sometimes some radio stations not just in las vegas but all over the country tv as well all they care about is immediate money they don't care about misinformation but wayne allen cook steve sanchez and several others spread misinformation here in las vegas on a much smaller scale every single day it's okay to have different opinions you're entitled to your own opinions but you're not entitled to your own facts and when it comes to Russia and when it comes to the Ukraine, the Ukraine and the Ukrainian people have not provoked this war one bit. But people like Tucker Carlson will share that misinformation. 
with you. Because for some of you, you want to hear stuff like that. You want to listen to Tucker. For some of you, you want, you want to hear people like Wayne Allen Cook talk about how the vaccines are killing millions of people, which is obviously a blatant lie. But it's a dangerous lie. Because there are people out there that are going to believe it. And why do these people do it? They know that they're lying. They know that it's misinformation. But they put it out there on a daily basis because it helps their listenership ratings and their bottom line when it comes to money. But some good people in society do not put money first. They put doing what's right first. And Adam Kinzinger is one of those people. Liz Cheney is one of those people. And there are few and far between, but there are some others in the Republican Party. I've always believed Mitt Romney is one of those people. But the majority and the wholehearted majority of the Republican Party, this is the kind of stuff that they believe. And it's very harmful. You know, it's funny. I was having a conversation with somebody today about Republicans and what they believe and what they don't believe. And, uh, you know, this meme, which, which rings true to me, some memes don't, this one does, in talking about Republicans, says, quote, they said COVID was a hoax. They said Russia would never invade. They say climate change is fake. They say vaccines don't work. They say the news is fake. They praise Putin. They attack the Capitol. They ban books. The Republican Party is on the wrong side of every issue. Now, that's obviously an extreme. I don't think they're on the wrong side of every issue. But those are some pretty valid points right there. And, and I sent this to a friend of mine who's a diehard Republican. And she said that's not true, that you know, the overwhelming majority of Republicans don't feel that way. And my response to her was, the leader of the Republican Party feels that way. The leader of the Republican Party, make no mistake about it right now, is Donald Trump. And in the last few weeks, Donald Trump has praised Vladimir Putin, calling him smart, calling him savvy, and calling him a peacemaker. And the response I got from her was, I think you underestimate the party. Not everyone loves Marjorie Taylor Greene. Okay, Uh, but the majority of Republicans would vote for Donald Trump. Um, So I disagree. I'm not talking about Marjorie Taylor Greene right now. I'm talking about the leader of your party. It's Donald Trump. And Donald Trump has kissed the ass of Vladimir Putin for God knows how long. I don't know why. He constantly calls the news fake. He constantly praises Vladimir Putin. You know, this is the guy who says climate change is fake. So I respectfully disagree with her. This is where the Republican Party is at right now. And until they move away from those extremes, the leaders of the party, I will always call them out and I will always say the same thing. Bill Maher is wrong. He is very wrong. He's wrong about COVID. He's wrong about, you know, left-wing media. And, and Democrats and how they feel about COVID. He's wrong about trans the transgender stuff. There's nobody that's telling three-year-olds to be transgender. He's wrong. Ben Shapiro is not worth talking about because he's a little right-wing weasel. And he, to me, is just as bad as, as, as Tucker Carlson. I really feel that way. So we'll have to wait and see which, you know, which party is going to turn more to center, and I think that's the party that's going to uh, be in charge. I don't know who's going to be the president in 2024. I have some ideas who could be the president. I don't know. 
What I do know is we need more people in office that are more in the middle and reasonable people. We don't need the Joey Gilberts of the world you know, any more than we need the Ilhan Omars of the world. I don't like Chuck Schumer or Nancy Pelosi any more than I like McCarthy. But we need to get rid of these people. We need to bring new people in, and I think younger people, Adam Kinzinger's, are the types of people that we need in office, and those are the people that I'm going to vote for. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, you're not going to believe what Jesse Smollett's lawyers are demanding now that Jesse Smollett is behind bars. It's comical, and it's pathetic. We'll talk about that coming up next. You're listening to Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP. All right, welcome back. Pushing the Limits on a Tuesday. I want to tell you about uh, my good friend Brian Slipbach, owner of the bar Jackson's Bar and Grill, located on Jones and Flamingo. I was just there the other night, actually. I hit a straight flush on a slot machine. 500 big ones, baby. It's a great place to check out. Uh, great food, great atmosphere, great staff. And here's the best part about Jackson's, right? At least for me, anyway. You walk in there. And you sign up for a player's card. You mentioned my name and the name of this show, Pushing the Limits. You get 10 bucks free slot play. How cool is that? They have some great gaming promotions. Like if you hit a uh, taxable hit on any of their slot machines, you'll also get 10% free slot play for whatever amount of money that you want. So, hey, you win four grand. You just got an extra $400 in free slot play. Check them out, please. Jackson's Bar and Grill. Tell them I sent you. Brian from Pushing the Limits, and get that free slot play, baby, and go make some money. So uh, we're talking, of course, about Bill Maher's statements and, and, and you know those in the Republican Party when it comes to Russia, getting into a little bit of a debate with, 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 with somebody that I know that is a, a far-right uh, Republican. And I'm having a conversation with her, and I say, the leaders of your party are spreading misinformation and Russian propaganda And her response to me was, well, no, the overwhelming majority of people uh, do not believe in that stuff. I said, well, what are you talking about? The leader of your party, Donald Trump, does, and everybody kisses his ring. So you're wrong. And I don't know, am I wrong on this? I hear the Russian propaganda on Fox News every single night. The number to call, 702-221-7283. Again, that number, if you want to be a part of the conversation, is 221-7283. Let's go to John. John up here on Pushing the Limits. What's up, John? My man, what's up? Hey, uh, as a uh, fellow Cornell grad, Mr. Marr and I, uh, I think he's a couple years older than me. If uh, we'd gone at the same time, he might have been my weed dealer. Who knows? <laughs> he does like smoking weed. There's no question about that. Oh, he's open about the fact yep. that he put himself through college selling weed. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, Anyway, I love Bill Maher, man. I've, I've slept down to L.A. I hate L.A., but I've slept down like three times just to watch his show live. I've always liked um, Bill Maher. I, I disagree with you. I, you know, uh, I, you know, I'm not a Ron DeSantis. I pretty much agree with everything you outlined there, except the DeSantis. Uh, uh, I think Florida's situation is uh, was. Uh, far worse than people realized. And the fact that they're viewed somehow as a savior that got it right from the beginning, I think, is total horse crap. Yeah. I looked up the number of deaths in Florida, and it was it was outrageously high. They, yeah. they're, they're, their statistics are not better than ours. Right. No, but, I, I agree. Yeah. But, I, but I've reached the conclusion, you know, I've, I've been vaxxed twice and boosted, and I'm pretty much done with this disease. I'm pretty much at the point now where, 
you know, when it's time to get the fourth shot, I'll, I'll get the fourth shot. But I'm done worrying about it. I'm not. I'm done worrying wearing a mask. Um, and uh, well, where do so we disagree? I, I, where do we disagree? Well, you you. Uh, I thought you were criticizing Mar for his lax attitudes towards COVID. Uh, I am. Here's why. Okay. What he has done since day one on his show is talk about, you know, it was just a cold for me and, you know, it was a nothing burger and, you know, I don't really wear my mask unless I absolutely have to in a business. Uh, since day one, he seems to talk about left-wing media and doctors that are cocky, that he doesn't, you know, doesn't have to listen to all the time, and that Democrats over-dramatize the virus. But uh, what he fails to talk about is right-wing media lying about the virus, saying that the death toll is overblown, saying that the vaccines are dangerous. He seems to want to attack the left for taking it too far. He does it on his show all the time. And my point is I would rather have people take it too far and take it too serious than people not take it serious enough. Because if you take it too serious and you have to put on a mask, God forbid, or if you get vaccinated, uh, it's not going to kill you. But if you don't take it serious enough or you listen to idiots like Laura Ingram and Tucker Carlson and you never took this virus seriously from day one, there's probably a chance that you could be six feet underneath the ground. So that's where I have my qualm with Bill, Bill Maher. Yeah, but <clears throat> I, I think you have to take into account that he's in L.A., that, you know, like two weeks ago, he did his first show in front of a live audience. I mean, we've been going to shows here in Las Vegas for a long time now. Uh, and I remember recently he said he hasn't even been able to go to his office. He was barred from going into his office for like two years. Uh, and he made a joke that, you know, I've got some plants that are dying. Um, so I think you've got to put it in perspective that he is in L.A. and that their uh, approach was far more strict than ours. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that Sisolak got religion all of a sudden, um, you know, and, and, and let go of the mask mandate. Um, I, I think America as a whole and the political pulse of this disease, we're done, man. If it's going to kill me, well, you know, I'm sure I've been in contact with it a hundred times, you know, in these past two years. Um, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, I was... Uh, I was vaxxed and boosted as quickly as I possibly could, and I'll do. I'll get the four shot as quickly as I well, possibly can. But John, can. we are. But John, according to science and doctors, and there's a reason why we don't have to wear masks anymore, right? The death toll numbers are way down. The the ICU numbers have been way down. Sisolak made the right decision. I think most of the country is in a much better place now. And I hope you're right. I mean, there's obviously never guarantees, but I hope we're done. I hope there's no more new variants that are dangerous. And yes, it, look, I agree with you. I think we are on the the path and in, in the right direction. But my criticism has always been when we have close to a million people in this country that have died of this virus, hundreds of thousands of people's lives would have been saved if Donald Trump was out there more frequently talking about how serious the virus was instead of how it was a Democratic hoax. If people out there like the Matt Gates, the Jim Jordans, the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world who sadly have a platform were not out there talking about how the Democrats want to take our freedoms away, but actually talking about how serious the virus was and how you got to be careful many lives would have been saved. And, and that, yeah, that no, is, I, I, I agree with you 100%. The, the Fox, Fox is a treasonous... I mean, it, it's criminal what they do day in and day out. <clears throat> Tucker Carlson's a clown. I mean, it, 
Putin is playing his highlight reel in Russia after he totally shut yeah. down Russia. And now we've learned stuff. that uh, Hillary Clinton has been sanctioned, and she had a very friendly response to that. I'd like to thank the Russians for this incredible award. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that was really funny, and I'm going to tell you something. I think Hillary Clinton's going to be the next president of the United States. That's my prediction. Holy cow. No, man. I do. Wow. I do. You just blew my mind. Well, Brian. you name me somebody else on the left that can <clears throat> beat Donald Trump. Wow. Uh, boy, Michelle Obama could kick his ass, man. Um, uh, uh, boy, you're heading down a dangerous path with that, Clinton. I mean, uh, wow, you just blew my mind. I thought she was done. I don't like her. I don't like her. She well, has too I much don't like baggage. Donald Trump. I don't like Donald Trump more. I despise Trump. <laughs> he, he's, he's the worst president. He's evil. He's evil incarnate, man. He's, yeah. he, he's, he's the devil. Uh, so... Well, I got to right. give some thought to what you just said. There. Well, you 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 name me right now. If the elections were tomorrow, name me a Democrat that had a better chance to win than Hillary Clinton right now. Well, boy, we're in tough shape, man. It's look. The number one problem in America is campaign finance. Period. End of story. Our country, our democracy is at risk because of we have no really, really after Citizens United, we have real no real campaign finance yeah. uh, regulation in this country. But you know, Biden, he's just he's too old. I mean, he's doing a brilliant job with Russia. I mean, the way he was able to get the country to, to, to galvanize against Putin has sent a clear, stunning message to China. And it's all about China, boys and girls. All the right. next world war is with China. There's no question about yeah. it. Well, John, um, I, I appreciate hearing from you, my friend. And the only point that I was trying to make is that Donald Trump is running in 2024. There's no question about that. Mike Pence will not be his vice president. I don't know who will be. Maybe it'll be Ron DeSantis. But if you're an anti-Trumper like I am, and you want to find somebody on the other side that can beat Donald Trump, I don't like Hillary Clinton. I never have. But I'll take Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump, and I believe she gives uh, the Democrats the best chance to win. That's just my personal opinion. we got a long way to go here. It's 2022. we got a couple years. But uh, I want to play you a story quickly. Um, in regards to Jesse Smollett, and, and he's just a complete clown. He, clearly, he's mentally ill, and you know he staged this hate crime, and that's why he's behind bars right now. He's a complete moron, um, and he did a, a major disservice to real victims out there. You know, we had uh, Lisa uh, Loblin in studio yesterday, one of Bill uh, Cosby's accusers, and he did an injustice to people like her. Anybody who's the victim of a hate crime, of sexual assault, uh, anything of that nature. Uh, Jesse Smollett did a, did a disservice, but now it, it's gotten to another level, right? Smollett still says he's innocent, which is ridiculous. The evidence is overwhelming that he staged this hate crime. I mean, it, it, deep inside his mind, he's like O.J. Simpson. O.J. probably still thinks he didn't commit double murder. I don't know. But now uh, Smollett's lawyers have wasted no time demanding his release from jail, at least while his appeal is playing out, claiming he risked being harmed physically Every second he stays behind bars, which is, which is ridiculous. He's in isolation. It makes absolutely no sense. The Empire Actors legal team filed an emergency motion yesterday asking a judge uh, to spring Jesse from behind bars while his appeal is pending, arguing that the potential cons of him staying locked up in Cook County far outweigh any benefits. Now, they received a phone call. The family of Smollett received a, a bizarre phone call, and you're going to get bizarre phone calls from people all over the place. Politicians get bizarre calls every day. This was the phone call that they received, which led them to lead to this type of motion. Have a listen to this. Yeah, hi, this is uh, Lives Matter. I hope what they do to that 
in jail, here's what they're gonna do, right? They're gonna take a broom handle and take that little <laughs> shove it in there, and he's gonna go, oh, <laughs> All right, so here's uh, my thoughts on that. Obviously, this guy's uh, a little deranged. Um, that's not going to happen. This is an excuse for Smollett's attorneys to not hold him accountable. He was sentenced to 150 days in jail. That's where he belongs. I hope he never gets an acting gig the rest of his life. What he did was very harmful. It was dangerous. And like I said, Smollett is is mentally deranged. I mean he still thinks he he didn't stage anything where the evidence is now overwhelming. So it, it makes no sense to me. There are other reasons they also say that he should be out. For one, they attached a sworn affidavit from a doctor who states Jesse is at a higher risk of catching COVID, which is, uh, again, just ridiculous. He's in isolation. That's not true. On top of this, Jesse's lawyers also argue that because he's being held in protective custody, which they say is a kid to solitary confinement, his mental health will deteriorate. Well, it was Smollett himself in court that was screaming at the judge the other day, I'm not suicidal, so I'm sure he's just fine. The big picture, of course, is they continue to reiterate all the points they made in court trying to get the case tossed in the first place, which can happen. You know, that's what his attorneys are doing. The same thing that a lot of defense attorneys do is that they try to represent their client, but that, you know, their, their client's not accountable for what they did. Smollett did a very serious th- crime. The very serious thing that he did, he staged a hate crime. Not only is it a a heinous act to stage something like that, but it's a major disservice to all victims of hate crimes. Cost the city of Chicago a lot of money in investigating this situation. And he continues to lie. And he continues to commit perjury as he did on the stand. And I'll tell you what a real victim of a hate crime is. Because I was just reading this story yesterday, and it's absolutely terrible. You know, a, a New York woman. Punched more than 125 times, an Asian woman in the head and face, stomped on seven times by a man who allegedly called her an Asian B-word, according to the Yonkers Police Department. The victim, a 67-year-old Asian woman. She was returning home over the weekend when she saw the suspect, who police identified as Tamil Isco, 42, in the front of her building. And since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, thousands of people in the U.S. have been victims of anti-Asian hate crimes and incidents, from verbal abuse to physical attacks. Those are real victims of hate crimes. Not Jussie Smollett, but Jussie Smollett now provided a disservice to these people who are real victims. Now, luckily, this man was brought to justice. But, you know, if you say you're the victim of a hate crime, some people in society might think, "Uh uh-oh, is this Jussie Smollett all over again? These are real victims of hate crimes, and we have real victims of hate crimes Every single day. Every single day in society. So Jesse Smollett belongs behind bars. He shouldn't be going anywhere. And I hope he stays behind bars for a very, very long time. And quite frankly, 150 days to me, it's not enough. It's not enough at all. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, I love going to local comedy clubs. I love being entertained. Uh, and I, I, you know, anybody who knows me knows, you know, obviously before the pandemic, I was probably going to three, four comedy shows per week. Great new comedy club in the art district on main street. Uh, and I actually just hit that up, uh, a few weeks ago. I saw Paulie Shore out there. So joining us in studio coming up next, talk a little bit about this club. Going to talk to, uh, actor, comedian, Alan Steven and, uh, Sabrina Sari, who is also happens to be the sister-in-law of the legend. Sam Kennison. So they'll be joining us next. Take a quick break. Be back right after this. You're listening to Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP. 
Hey, Las Vegas, you want to be part of one of the fastest-growing radio shows in the Valley? Now's your chance. Radio advertising has remained one of the most effective promotional channels for advertisers for years. And now you have the opportunity to be part of this exciting new show called Pushing the Limits with Brian Shapiro. We have multiple sales packages with wide ranges of pricing to fit your budget. Live reads, live remotes, you name it, we can offer it. So give us a call at 702-576-0493. That number again, 702-576-0493. Give us a call and we will take care of you. Shopping is always easy with the Radio Shopping Show. Whether it's shopping during any one of our live shows right here on AM 1400 or listening live on the KSHP app, you can always call in at 702-221-7283 to pick up great deals with your favorite host. Or shop 24-7 at KSHP.com. Go to KSHP.com and select Shopper's Guide to browse hundreds of businesses featured on the show. Place your order online and we'll have it shipped right to your front door. With so many possibilities, it's hard not to shop. Hey, everybody, are you struggling to find a pizza place that reminds you of Brooklyn, that true blue New York-style pie? Well, worry no more. Stallone's Italian Eatery Pizza is a knockout. We're located at 467 East Silverado Ranch Boulevard, just off of Premier Road, half a mile east of South Point Casino, just minutes from the Las Vegas Strip. Come by and grab a slice of pie. Plus, check out our Brooklyn-inspired Italian cuisine. Our sandwiches are super hero, that is, because why be a sub? And you can be a hero. Stallone's Italian Eatery is here to serve you phenomenal food, Vegas. Forget about it. All right, welcome back. It is Pushing the Limits on a Tuesday. So glad you could join us. You know, the thing I love, there's a lot of things about Las Vegas I love. Uh, One of them being it's the entertainment capital of the world. And I've met, you know, I remember meeting Don Rickles uh, about a year before he died. And I met him backstage. And, uh, you know, these are things that I'll never forget for the rest of my life. I've met some legends in the business and some incredible people. Uh, One legend that... um, Sadly, we lost way too soon, but uh, uh, one of my favorite comics of all time, Sam Kennison. And uh, Sam, uh, you know, it's funny. I was on YouTube, and I was trying to find some bits that he did without any swear words in it. And the few bits that I could find was when he made appearances on The Letterman Show. Uh, Here's one of them when he's talking about condoms. It's very funny. That's Def. There he is. There's Sam. Do not like him. Do we like lovers, guys? Case in point. I could walk into a Catholic church during a mass, yell out that same question, get the same response. No! We hate robbers! But they don't invent anything else for us. You know, I think it's a time that they have. You know, I mean, they have for women. Women have it all. They have diaphragms, IUDs, vaginal jellies and foams and the pill. Guys get rubbers. Boom! That's it. They made rubbers, they went home. You know, this is, I mean, it's sad. They have laser heart surgery, ladies and gentlemen. They can operate on your heart with lasers, and they want you to put a balloon on your penis to hold the scene. Somebody's not going to rework somewhere! <laughs> oh, man, I love it. So funny. The two people are very lucky to have in studio right now. We're very, very close to Sam. Uh, Sabrina Swery 
is uh, his sister-in-law. So obviously she knew him really well. And Alan Stephen has known him for years, comedian, actor himself, worked with him on many occasions. Uh, Alan and Sabrina, thank you so much for being here. How are you guys doing? Thank you for having us. We're doing well. So, are we? <laughs> By the way, for the record, I'm at the comedy club and I'm watching Pauly Shore and Alan uh, did about 10 or 15 minutes of stand-up opening up for Pauly. And Alan, you just – I was almost peeing my pants. You are so funny, man. Your stand-up is great. You're like an insult comic, right? So like when you go up there – yeah, you have some jokes, but you just you're just making fun of everybody in the crowd, and I just love that. He was making fun of Chris Wynn, by the way, our it's friend not Chris so Wynn. Much yeah, yeah, that yeah. It's an insult thing. <laughs> it's uh, I like to make the show up for those people. I love it. So usually, when I do an hour or more, I will remember everything I said to everybody and tie it in at the end. I love it. Tell me if you remember this. So I'm sitting front row. With my friend. I was dressed fairly nice. Right now, of course, I look like a slob, as usual. So you look at me and you go, you look like a rock star. You look like you're the lead singer of a band. And yeah, I I took that as a compliment. I was like, wow, that's nice of you. Thank you. And then my friend Chris Wynn, who was probably dressed as a slob, you said, you look like the guy that's going backstage to try to meet this guy after the show. I thought that was so (laughs) – I just thought that was so funny. Uh, But your your stand-up is awesome, man. I I loved it. So So um, let me me start – with you guys just personally you guys were married for a long time right yes we were married for 10 years together for 15 and you guys are still very close we're bestie exes so that's very rare (laughs) let me just start there that's very strange it's a good thing i think it's awesome but like most people that divorce they don't want to talk to each other anymore and yet you guys are i think that's awesome yeah i didn't want to talk to her when we were married (laughs) (laughs) i've known him since i'm we're i'm 16 he was in his 30s because I, I was on the road with Sam. He was one of the outlaws of uh, Well, comedy. no, actually, Sam met your sister. Okay, let's go back. And you were the baby, little drag along, <laughs> leave it the beaver. Yeah. You know? I had braces. Wally had a date and beaver had to go. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, and then your sister became the girlfriend. Yeah. yeah. And Alan was my first ride home in Los Angeles. And we, wow. Yeah. Well, don't make it sound like you were on the corner. <laughs> We met. We, okay, so at, it was the Lost Boys premiere. What, Sam, what's his name? The, the kid that got all the problems. That Corey, started. Yeah, Corey, Corey Feldman oh. invited us to a screening yeah. of Lost Boys. I think it was Corey at the Writers Feldman. Guild. Yeah. Wow, he's an interesting character. We only know interesting people. <laughs> Corey Feldman. What do you make if of this guy? If we can say interesting people. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think, you know, somebody squeezed the testicles one too many times. <laughs> Do I, I do like that movie, License to Drive, The Goonies. He's been in some good movies. <laughs> but you just got Sam Kennison's sister-in-law to actor. snort. That was good. He's that a was very funny. good actor. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> he's a so, weirdo. Uh, he's a little strange. Uh, you know, everybody. Yeah, yeah that's true. And uh, uh, so Sam took Malika and Sabrina in his car mm-hmm. like he always would. And in those days, I uh, uh, wore a lot of jewelry, mm-hmm. drove a Lincoln Continental. <laughs> it was just, you know, out of my mind. Yeah. You look like a serial killer. we saw the screening, killer. and Sam says, hey, do me a favor. Can you give the kid a ride home? You can tell the story now. So. And how old are you at the time? Six. I just turned 16 oh, years old. That's jailbait, Alan. I know. Yeah, it's jailbait. Yeah. <laughs> so he's, he's sitting next to me, and. He's and it, we're driving from Wilshire to Sunset, which is a couple miles. Sure, 
He doesn't say anything to me the whole time, and he's got the gold change, like 12 gold chains. It's the Mr. <laughs> T starter kit with the hairy, furry chest. And he goes, hey, kid, you smoke pot? <laughs> First thing he says to me for like 10 minutes. I to go, a 16-year-old. Yeah, and I go, yeah! I never smoked pot. I was just so yeah, nervous. I go, are you sure? Because I don't want to be the one that turns you out. I know, so- These days you do that, you're on the hit show to catch a predator. <laughs> <laughs> so we get up to the house, and Sam and Malik and the rest of the comics got there. And I get out of the car, and my sister sees I'm clearly high, which she, you know she, I don't, I didn't do drugs, right? And she goes, she looks, she goes, "You're high! I can't believe you got high!" And I looked at her, I go, "You did blow and coke Trump's pot, so shut up." <laughs> I was on my summer, and that was the start of the love story yeah. with the family, and yeah. that was and that was the start of it. Alan, let me let me start with you. Where did you get your start in show business? Oh, How? Boy. Oh boy! Yeah, yeah. my was, mom was a model. Wow! So I started to model when I was seven, and around. Nine or ten, she said, want to do TV commercials? So I said, sure, why not? It gets me out of school. Yeah. And I did a few TV commercials. Then I stopped Mm -hmm. so they could try to normalize me. (laughs) And then right out of high school, I moved back to New York. And uh, then I came out here, I think, in 75, I went to California. Met a comic on a roof, Mm -hmm. top party. Mm -hmm. Hung out with him a while, and he said, you ought to audition for the comedy store. And they needed comic sense. It's not like now where you open the door and you yell comic and a hundred come. Right. Um, And she made me a regular Mitzi Shore that night. Hmm. And uh, from that point on, I guess. Paulie Shore's mother. Yes. 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 Little baby. Well, he was just turned eight when I met met Paulie. And I met I've met Sam, the late Sammy Shore. I've met him several times in Vegas. Nice great, man. great man. Nice yep. man. So that's how you got your start. Yeah, at the store. That's I was incredible. Not, even though I'm from the East Coast. Yeah. I never did an East Coast uh, I started that's, out here. That's incredible. And and you your your history of the T V like Arliss was one of my favorite shows. I loved Arliss. Well what happened is You were a producer of that show. Well, I co-created it. Well, Robert Wall created it. I wrote the pilot. Yeah. And then I was a co-exec producer for seven years. And Roseanne. How did you get started in Roseanne? Well, when I was a stand-up in the early 80s, I was very big in Denver. The only other guy that was bigger was Louis Anderson. Mm. And I went there on an amateur night, and a woman was up there in a tutu. And uh, can we curse on here? No. Oh, <laughs> no. Well, then I won't tell the joke. But she basically said a lot of people say I'm not feminine. Well, they can suck my... Right. And I, <laughs> I, the I went up to the owner and I right. went, I'd like her on the show with me this week. <laughs> he goes, well, we find her to be a pain in the neck and not funny. And I go, well... She's very I, good at singing the national I said, anthem. that's how I feel about you. <laughs> and then I took her on the road with me. And at one point, Louie did. And then we convinced her to come to the comedy store. And by then, I was, uh, I don't know how to put it, but a major fixture at the store. Yeah. So uh, I introduced her to Mitzi, and it seems like it went very fast, but it might have been a and, two and a half. And then, period. boom, Roseanne uh, becomes one of the biggest hit shows on television. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, we are. By the way, we are joined by uh, Alan Stephen, actor, comedian, and of course Sabrina Swery, who is the sister-in-law to the late great Sam Kennison. I, I, I want to get some Sam stories from you guys because he just uh, the unbelievable legend. I'm sure you guys have plenty. So we'll take a quick break and we'll be back right after this. You're listening to Pushing the Limits. Okay. 
All right, welcome back. Pushing the limits on a Tuesday. I love speaking to legends in, in the entertainment business and stories. We have Sam Kettison's sister-in-law in studio, Alan Swery, who lives here in Las Vegas. No, she's Sabrina. I'm uh, did I just say Alan's? Well, I, I tell you, it's, it, uh, that's what happens. Don't when give you're away on, my Friday night name. <laughs> that's what happens when you're out three hours of sleep. Alan is a legend in this business, of course. His work on Roseanne, uh, Arliss, one of my favorite shows. He's a stand-up comic. He's a producer. He's an actor. Sabrina. Is Sam Kinison's sister-in-law. She does stand-up, too. Yes, and a comedian as well. So I appreciate you both being in studio. Um, You know, I look at, you know, I was looking at a lot of old clips of Sam yesterday. You know, I'm on YouTube, and I'm looking at his act. No offense, they'd have to be old clips. He's dead. (laughs) That's very true. But, like, I look at his act, and I look at a guy like a George Carlin, and everybody has... Uh, the legends I'm talking about, like Sam, they're so unique. His act was so unique. The scream. The first thing I think about is the scream and the real life stuff. You know, I just played a little bit where he talked about condoms, right? Have guys having to put on condoms. And like, that's what I think w- distinct his voice, his persona on stage, uh, right? Would All you say? that comes from the church. Yeah. He had a, <laughs> really? he had, yeah, he had a leg up. You didn't know that? No. Oh, oh yeah. he was a, pre- a, pre- a preacher. I didn't know that. Oh, he didn't his know he was a preacher? Oh, that's... His, him and his brothers used to go out, and they'd compare it to a comedy club. They were preachers. If they did well, they got invited back. Is there a video of him preaching somewhere? Uh, Briefly, he, yeah. he might have done it on one of the Tonight Shows, just for a second. Oh, my god! But he's... I can't explain it. He's one of the best at that. Yeah. You will want to get up. You can't sit in your seat because he gets into a rhythm. Yeah. And, you know, I can't right. even do With it. His voice. But he yeah. has that little hop. You know, he had no neck. So he was a guy a- that just, he didn't obviously didn't take care of himself physically, right? I mean, it was a guy that did, dr- did he drink a lot? Uh, obviously, he ate a lot. I think when you grow up in the world he grew up in and decide at some point you're going the other way, uh, at what point do you limit yourself? Mm hmm. You know, when you grow grow up, told, yeah. growing up, told everything's wrong, 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 and then he just had a, a, an, a, an excessive personality. Right, right, right. I mean, I mean, what can you say? I mean, as as his sister in law, I mean, you probably knew him almost better than anybody. Right? Well, yeah, I mean, and it's not just because of the uh, sister in law, because Malik and I were in the show. Malik and I were belly mm-hmm. dancers here. We were like mm-hmm. little belly dancers in yeah. Las Vegas. I was five, she was twelve, and so yeah. we were already in entertainment. Mom was a showgirl. Yeah, my mom was a showgirl. So both of your families have that background yeah. in being in show business, right? And so when I got out to Los Angeles when I was 16, I mm-hmm. quickly became Sam's assistant because everybody was so, you know, high and, you know, hung over the next day. Nobody could answer the phone. Right. But I was 16. I, didn't, I was the Marilyn and the Munster family, <laughs> you know, and uh, we... We went on the road, and so it's not just uh, being a sister-in-law. I also started producing his albums, but when you're on the road with people is when you really get to know each other. So we spent five years on the road together. Kind man? Pardon me? Kind? Kind man? Was he giving kind? He could Sam? be. Yeah. He could be. No? <laughs> you're giving me a different look, No, Alan. He's, there was always a reason Sam, why he was generous. Yeah. Listen, the bottom line is, and we're not going to go into it, Sam was a predator. Yeah. So there's two sides to him. Uh, one was could be extremely kind and sensitive and giving, mm-hmm. and the other one, uh, the devil would go. I'm going to take a week off. Sam's filling in. Mm. <laughs> That's so true. That's pretty funny. But actually. he had be, because he was a preacher and because he came from that world of public speaking, he had such a leg up on other comics, and he had, he no, had no fear. fear. That That's was right. it. First no night fear. I saw him, mm-hmm. came down the aisle of the store, and I grabbed his arm. 
And I go, why is it you have no fear? And he explained to me his background. <laughs> but, and here's what he said to yeah. me. I didn't have to heal anybody that was blind. I'm ahead of the game. <laughs> By the way, our producer here has a clip of Sam preaching that we're going to play for the listeners right now because I've never heard this before. This is Sam Kennison. I didn't know he was a preacher. Here it goes. I used to preach. I used to study the Bible. It's a pretty fascinating book. I've done it, brother. I've done it. I've screamed at God at the top of my lungs because that's how much I believe in him. Amen. That's how personal I feel like my relationship is. If I can't be myself with the Father, then I'm going to stop preaching this gospel. That makes me want to donate to the church when I hear that. <laughs> that's just him warming up. Yeah. Then he gets into the, you know, he's a little guy with no neck. He gets into this little hot boy. He does right, it. Right. And that rhythm builds yeah. and builds and builds until there's nothing in your pocket. Did you feel like, because most comedians, I kind of hate to generalize like this, but a lot of comedians that I meet, they're interesting people. Some of them suffer from depression and, and, you know, all sorts of different things that they're fighting in their brain, but yet they're brilliant, right? They're brilliant when they're on stage. Did you feel Sam was that guy? I think anybody that does comedy, stand-up, has something wrong. It's not a normal thing. It's like taking off all your clothes and getting naked in front of strangers. It's like just a stripper. not normal. <laughs> right. And, you know, I was a musician. When you're in a band and it doesn't go well, you have other guys to cry with. Right. It's just you out there. And no matter who you are, like a big comedy star gets a bye for 10, 15 minutes, but then sure. they have to deliver. And what happens is every joke you're judged on. Right. It's mm-hmm. not like you can skate, you know, oh, I'm going to sing my hit song yeah. and the rest can all be no- songs nobody heard. Sam's Sam's wife lives here, right? No. Mm-mm. Oh, she doesn't. Okay. I, I heard from somebody. Okay. I, I, bad information. You know, Malika and I are from here. Right. But Malika lives in Nebraska right now. So what's she doing these days? She's with her third, third, husband. Husband. third yeah. husband. She was living in New York for a long time. She was a makeup artist for right. decades. Yeah. Um, she had some health issues mm-hmm. so she just kind of decided to hang it up and just go live the green acres life in nebraska <laughs> sure a difficult difficult day for everybody but the day that you learned the information that that sam had passed away where were you what do you remember about that day well i was supposed to be there sam and i i had left that group for a lot of reasons but he asked me if i wanted to go and i said now nah, let's just be friends yeah. i what i remember i was playing a gig in fremont california and the guy came up and he said, hey, your buddy just died. And I said, well, he said, what do you want to do? And I go, I'm on next. Just do the show. And he opens the show. I go, this guy just lost his best friend. And I just went, oh. get the F off the stage, you big moron. Why would he say that? That's, people, uh, that's because stupid. they're all morons. Yeah. That's stupid. I had left the group nine months prior because when Alan left, yeah. things really started going sideways because a lot of personality, a lot of partying. Right. I left nine months before, and I had just come back from dance class because we're trained dancers, of course. Um, and I saw the news, and I couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh, they, it, this has yeah. to be wrong because mm-hmm. they always reported stuff wrong. Of I'm course. like, oh, this, this is clearly because if anybody can you right. know, survive this, it's Sam. Right. And then a couple of minutes later, I got the phone call, and mm. my sister was in the car with him. And had she not been sleeping, taking a nap with her feet up, the dashboard just would have cut her legs off. And she was able to survive it. Yeah. Well, initially, yeah. they thought she had gone because she had passed out. How, how, Sam how? got out of the car and was walking around talking. And then, He got out of the car after the yeah, crash. Well, I didn't know here's that. Here's what yeah. happened. He had a souped-up Firebird Deluxe right. with oh. no airbag in the steering wheel. Oh, no. So he hit that steering wheel, smashes, and he's drowning. 
in his lungs, but he's able to talk, and he, I believe, collapsed. Yeah. And in Carl's arms, Carl LeBeau, and he just looked around and went, oh, why now? Oh, okay. That was his last words. So he knew he was, he was going to die. Gosh, that's so sad. Now, I did mm. Stern maybe two weeks later. You did the Stern show? Yes, yeah. and it was not Sam's fault. Yeah. Let's make that clear. Yeah. Sure. And the Inquirer, or as Howard would put it, a source close, and you go, Alan. <laughs> but the Inquirer, How many times were you on Stern show? Was that the only time you did it? Or? Oh. No, we you were, were on plenty of times? We were pro- I mean... Uh, I used to work a lot by myself, and he'd have me on and sell out my show. I love Howard. He's the reason and, why I got into radio. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, I took Roseanne. Great. I'm in his books. I took Roseanne in. I didn't know that. He describes it like the Kennedys coming around the corner. Anyway, uh, he says to me, he goes, uh, the autopsy showed he had like 11 or 12 drugs in his system. Jeez. But to him, he was sober. Sam liked a lot of drugs, right? I don't think he said no to anything. <laughs> and isn't it isn't it sad though, but interesting that all the stuff that he put in his system and he ended up dying in a car accident, right? Isn't it? Strange? Well, that's the one thing I said that night when they said it was a car accident. I went, "Who's fault?" And they went, "The other people." And I yeah, went, "Well, horrible," because. Anybody that was fairly yeah. close to him assumed it was going to be a Bellucci But you situation. know why I say that? Because I think of a guy like a Chris Farley, another brilliant guy, brilliant or Bellucci. actor. But, yeah. Right, but, yeah, right. And Farley was a guy that, you know, he died from his own demise. He Drugs, he didn't take care of himself. I think he was with a hooker that night. He did a bunch of blow. Very sad. But here you have Sam, who dies in a car accident, who probably did just as much, if not more drugs, than a guy like a Chris well, Farley. Well, it might have been a question of time. Yeah, I think so, it was right. the best way for him to go out, and I think it was actually probably time, because I don't see him coming back from where he was at at that time It was life. that bad. It was that bad. Yeah. And your your sister, I didn't know your sister was a passenger, by the way, in the car. Yeah. How, how badly was she hurt? Was she hurt badly or no? Um, well, because she was sitting in the car, you know, she had the, the legs up and the dashboard came in. She, she had some internal issues, but nothing that was life-threatening. I, mean, I did heliport her to Cedars-Sinai where they took care of her. Um, but she's she's good. She's good now. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, at, at least he didn't really have to suffer and it was fairly quick, which yeah. which, which is a good thing. But uh, so sad. I mean, we've lost so many legends recently, too. Right. I mean, Bob Saget was I'm sure you've you've worked with Bob before. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I, was a, I helped Bob get into the store initially. Did you really? I mean, what a great guy. Right. And, and such a weird circumstance around his death, too. Yeah. Alan, I think weren't you one of like the six first comics of the comedy store? The first ten? No, the store is open. Two years, so you were seventy two, and I come in, in late seventy four. So you you were probably around guys like Rodney Dangerfield, oh, right? Yeah. You were around all those. You guys. name them, and I not only was around them, I had to follow them. I was I was trained a whole different ball game. Who was than the most today. difficult person that you've ever had to work with in your career? Well, follow you mean acting or comedians working with uh whatever the case may be like do you have any nightmare people you're like i could never work with that person again i'm I'm just curious because you've worked with so many legends and so many great people have you ever worked with someone that was just such a pain in the ass to work with yeah any names or no (laughs) i remember i I opened for paul anka one time and i'm talking to him and the guy next to him says you speak to me not to mr anka (laughs) <laughs> cut you, cut what? you, and I have a long memory. The Outlaws with Sam were playing the Dunes that the Comedy Store had yep. here in Vegas, and we broke Sinatra's record. Wow! We did thirty-nine wow. or forty shows in two weeks. Uh, my father would come here when I was a child, 
And the big stars did late night shows at two in the morning, so the other stars and workers could come. Sure. Why well, talk Sam into doing that? Of course, our shows would go off at three in the morning, but they were packed, star studded. Uh-huh. And Sam knows the Paul Anka thing, and he goes, "You know, Paul Anka's in the audience," and I would introduce everybody. <laughs> so, and at the time, we would all get on stage at the end and do like an Elvis pose, and close our show. So, and I do. I sh- I'm blowing smoke like this. Ladies and gentlemen, in the <laughs> audience tonight, a living legend. Not just a legend, a legend that's still with us. <laughs> and I go on and on and on and on and on. And he stands up and goes, and gives the Elvis post, and I go, sit the hell down, Paul. That's us. What are you going to steal everything, you little midget? <laughs> <laughs> and I came off and Sam goes, feel better? I go, years in the making. <laughs> Oh, God. But, you know, other than that, you know, he's a talent. That really wasn't bad. Yeah. I have worked with some comics I don't care for or they Mm -hmm. don't care for me. Mm -hmm. Like, when I used to be on the road 100 years ago, I check into this condo, Uh and the guy says, want to go to lunch, the middle act. Right. And at lunch, he looks up because, you know, I bury all the headliners I work with. (laughs) And I go, really? Who is this? I have. You don't even know his name. (laughs) means nothing. Yeah. And I said, really? Yeah. And. I was lazy. I went through a period where I just sat on a stool and didn't want to work at all, you know? <laughs> you and ever work with Bill Cosby before? I'll get to that, too. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> so, uh, so the kid says to me, you know, I bury everybody. I said, I'll tell you what, if I can't follow you, you can have my check. <laughs> if I can, I take your check. All right. That's an interesting challenge. Well, we get there, and the owner says, have you seen this guy, Alan? I went, no. He goes... He buries everybody. I go, he's got a guitar. It's all energy. He goes, Alan, you're in trouble. <laughs> so I, the guy says, how long can I do? I go, I have nowhere to be. As long as you think it'll take you. <laughs> he does like 53 minutes standing ovation. Yeah. And I go, well, I guess there's no sitting down the night. I come off soaking wet, sweating. They're pounding on the table screaming for more. And I go out and I do a couple more minutes. I come in and I look at the owner and I go, can I have his check, please? <laughs> and he, Did you get it? Yeah. <laughs> and I kept it in my pocket. That's a Tuesday or Wednesday. Sunday night, this guy's like, you know, a puppy that's been beaten with a board. <laughs> oh. You know, I, uh, yeah. and I said, you know what? Why don't you just worry about you and not what everybody else is doing? That's my advice to you. Here's your check. And I said, normally, I'd knock you out. Who's the that, that? I love that story, and I love the fact that you took his money, and maybe he wasn't as cocky moving forward. The most that both of yeah, you. Like, here's another one, real yeah. quick, because you will know this game. Sure. Odin Kirk. Yes. Not the love the Sal guy. There's mm-hmm. one. All right. He is all props, and we're in San Jose, and he lays all his props out so he knows where they are, and he closes at the end. His arms dance. He pulls the strings, but his arms are inside the jacket, and the mm-hmm. arms dance. So after the first night, I come back. I'm in the jacuzzi in the condo, minding my own business. He goes, don't die, follow me up. Because <laughs> I was sitting on the stool. You know, I'm only paid so much money. At that point, I go, I, I, I gave him $2,500 worth. Wow. So uh, I go in the next day during the day, and the bartender goes, what are you doing here? I'm just looking around. Yeah. Because Mr. Improv has set everything. It's no improv at all. And I... Start moving things around. Yeah. And I tie the strings in the jacket. <laughs> humming a humming a humming a through his whole show. <laughs> and we're back at the condo. And I go, you know, I just need a mic because I'm funny. That's hilarious. Well, that, something that's must st- have happened. Has yeah. your style always been the same? 
for the most part? I started out, I was maybe the worst thing at the store. Yeah. And I've seen video. After really? a couple yeah. years, uh, she went like this. <laughs> Mitzi said to me, I'm going to have you MC all night, but do not tell a joke. And uh, the times have changed. I really can't tell the story I was going to tell. But one night she said, say who all the celebrities are here. And I went, oh, Lauren Silkham Jacobson, Welcome Back Cotter, all the kids from Rerun, Shirley Ample, blah, blah, blah. And I went, and our own Jimmy Walker, and the place goes Jimmy nuts. Jimmy J.J. Walker. And I go, who let in all the, and I use the N-word. Oh. Jimmy falls right out the back door he was leaning on. He just throws his head back. He's crying. He's laughing so hard. Really? And I, the place just goes nuts. And I but sit in down. this day and age, you can't do no. that. No. Yeah. And, and I sit down. And Mitzi goes, I created a monster. <laughs> and then I accepted a gig when clubs are brand new. Yeah. There were none. I went to Denver to a jazz club called Basins Up, which eventually yep. became the comedy work. Yep. Well, I was the first comedy act at Basins Up. And I had enough material for 45 minutes mm-hmm. well I'm done and I'm in the dressing room and the owners come back and go they're going to love you second show I go what do you mean there's a second show he goes yeah and I go how many come to that he goes oh it's the same audience <laughs> what and I went dude I'm out of jokes <laughs> and they think that's a joke <laughs> I've seen and him and I went out there and did an hour and 20 minutes just, just, just. and that's when I went oh this is what I do just ad living people, and that's how you change your style. You know where some guys go. That's where amazing. are you from? Wait, hold on. So, I turn them into bits. So you, you do a forty-five minute act. You tell a bunch of jokes. You got the owner of the club that comes in and say they're going to love you. The second show, same audience, which makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. So you have to totally improv and go up there and just mess with people. You do that for two hours, hour and, and twenty, an hour, yeah, hour and twenty minutes. I'm sorry, and then it. It, it clicks in your head, boy, this is probably what I should do, and this is how I should change yeah, my Yeah, originally, you know, I do That's almost incredible. all material in like 10 minutes Yeah, because I, I didn't learn how to say things without upsetting people. Right. It was hit and miss. Right, right. Where now I have done things. I was telling her a story last night at the La Jolla Comedy Store. I looked down, beautiful pair of legs. Yep. And a handsome guy is with her. Yeah. And I go, what are you doing? She goes, I'm a dancer. And long story short, I say, can you come up and show me how to do something? And he comes up, and she has a skirt on that flares out. Uh Uh-huh. And he lifts her up, and she spreads her legs, and he (laughs) spins her. And I go, well, let me try that. She goes up, she spreads her legs and i just dropped her on my head so i'm under her dress and i'm spinning screaming i can dance all night and nobody was offended what was up with roseanne i mean you, you i mean she uh I, i'm actually friends with tom arnold uh we have to leave sabrina inter- <laughs> interesting relationship they had i mean what do you make of roseanne Barr and her life and and i mean it's first just- off one of my closest friends. Mm-hmm. I didn't work on her show for five years because Tom Arnold, not my closest friend. <laughs> Fair enough. He's an interesting guy. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, Weird. Very there's strange. a lot of institutionalized people that are interesting. <laughs> He's a strange one. Also um, likes drugs. <laughs> I. I uh, what do you want to know about Roseanne? I mean, uh, what was she like away from the cameras? What was she like away from the microphone? What type of person was she like? She's funny and eccentric. To work with. Funny and eccentric. Like I go over for one Thanksgiving and she's in a tutu. <laughs> and I went, what's that have to do with Thanksgiving? She said, who says I have to dress as a pilgrim? <laughs> so I, I remember made, the National Anthem. Me live. The Listen, National Anthem was a funny moment. The National Anthem. Here's what happened. <laughs> yeah. She had no zip about sports. Right. 
Tom Warner, who owns the Roseanne show, owns the team. Right. Talks her into doing it. And she says to Tom, I think it was Tom, hey, what do you think would be funny to do? Oh, baseball players grab their crotch and spit. (laughs) Before you know it, there's a president going, oh, that's terrible. (laughs) Don't run the country. Commenting on a comedian with a singing on bad song. Do you think think, uh, cancel culture, a lot of people talk about that. I mean, I think there are, sometimes it's warranted, sometimes it's not. I think every situation is different. For example, Michael Richards. uh, His career was over. He's not really a stand-up comic anyway. Most people tell me he was in the wrong place. He shouldn't be doing stand-up. I was there the day he came and tried to start it. Really? Um, I think he has a social disease. Wait, you were there the day he used the N-word and he went crazy? No, I was there the day he started comedy. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay, okay. And he's he did one of the, maybe the ugliest thing I've ever seen on stage. Yeah. He, in those days, comics would take purses and go through them. And he's taken, and he's, he bombs. He just, just plays with toys on stage. None of it makes sense. And uh, uh, he takes the lady's purse and she says, please don't, please don't. There's a tug of war. Yeah. A jar flies out, the lid comes off, and there's pills all over the stage. And you hear him popping them as he steps, and she goes into a seizure. Oh, and he keeps going. Yeah. So well, I, went over, I went over the door, and I said, turn out the lid. What, why did he do what he did? I mean, I understand it's annoying when people interrupt you and are Again, loud. Again, I think he has a he... social disease. And I think in lieu of not knowing what to say quick enough to be funny. He just throws out the N-word. He went, you know, yeah. there. I mean, yeah. where in Roseanne's case, Roseanne yeah. never said what they said she said. Right. It's that the media interpretation. Yeah. What she said is, Planet of the Apes, meet right. that lady, right. gives you Muslim Brotherhood. What she meant was, the two together gives you anarchy. Right. Nowhere in there did you hear her but say... But in this day and age, people are going to run with a story, and they're, mm-hmm. you, know, you know how Some it is. Some guy in the press... Right. And then, you know, the person at the time is black running ABC, and I personally feel they were waiting for her anyway. Yeah. What do you think is a line, though, that a comedian, both of you, I asked this question, both of you uh, being comedians, you've done a lot of shows. Is there a line, and where do you think that line is for comedians and a line they should never cross? There is no line. You don't think so? No. There's a comic named Brian Holtzman, and I go to the store one night. It's 810. I think at 6.30, a plane had crashed with like 300 people on it. And he starts talking about that, and the audience boos. And this is the guy that can't shake anything. He's a little goofy, too. Yeah. And the audience boos, and he goes somewhere else. Then he turns around and goes, what if I were to tell you a baby on that plane wouldn't stop crying? Would that make a difference? Boo! But it's changed from when you guys started. It's the, the, what, where we're at in society right now, it's changed. I'll give you an example. I, I think if you're good enough and funny yeah. enough. And it's got to be funny. I, I do exactly what I do. Do you think a white, it's appropriate for a white comedian to use the N-word, even if a joke is funny? Uh, no. No. But I, I'm so saying, there is a line somewhere. There, there is there's a line. there's something that can get away with it. So okay. there really example, isn't a line. I'm Jewish, okay? Uh-huh. Um, and... If somebody went up on stage and made a joke about the Holocaust, for example, about people you know dying or being burned alive, I probably wouldn't laugh at that. It depends on who it is. Sarah Silverman if does exactly that. If it's somebody who's Jewish, I was just going to say that, Alan. If it's somebody who's Jewish, then I can laugh at it. But it's kind of like when your friend comes up to you and they hey, make listen, a joke. Listen, it's and- all too much. Mickey Rooney played a, a Japanese guy in Breakfast at Tiffany's. Right. And before he died, he apologized for playing it. Certain things are of the times. 
And if you accept it's of the times, right. there shouldn't be a problem. But there's also a difference between shock value and being funny. And you can't go backwards. Agreed. You couldn't do all in the family right now. Agree. There's a yeah. guy that uh, I had to interview. His name is Josh Denny, a complete moron. He was fired from the Food Network. He's not funny. He was fired from the Food Network because... We're all the funny people. <laughs> are, by the way. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Talk about a, a boring. I agree with you. But anyway, he does an interview with TMZ. He's a white comedian. He calls himself a, a conservative comedian, and he, and he says the N-word a bunch of times. The guy who's interviewing him is black. He says, listen, I'm getting uncomfortable. Can you please not use that word? He continues to use it. And, and now he can't get a gig anywhere, and I'm interviewing him. I'm like, there's a reason why you don't have a gig anywhere. You're not funny, and you say stupid but, things but that are, that are not good. you hit it right on the head. You're not funny. Yeah. You know, I once sat with Buddy Hackett, and he said, ask me anything you want. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, well, some people say I'm dirty. And I talk just like I do in real life. Mm-hmm. If you're a nun, I talk the same way, and I've done shows to nuns mm-hmm. that didn't bother them. But you said you did. Sh- uh, you worked with Bill Cosby. I have to hear about well, that. Well, it's not that I worked with him. Uh, I was in Tahoe, uh-huh. and he was in the casino next door. I was in a 400-seater in Caesars, mm-hmm. and he was in the big room next door, so I would go over. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, always had a niece with them, just like Chuck Berry. <laughs> Apparently, they all have white nieces. Yeah, he always had somebody with him that all the time. Yeah. Everybody knew for a million years about Bill. What bothered me, and I think bothered a lot of young, uh, well, well, bothered black people in general, is he was a disappointment to them. But to the young comics, he would actually call up like an Eddie Murphy and, and, and say, "You know what, Eddie." The language. you got to stop with the language. Where are you going with that? And then his double and, and life, meantime, he's doing that. Yeah, and he's meantime, raping women. there's a drugged yeah. out yeah. naked woman yeah. behind yeah. him. Yeah, he's raping women and sexually uh, assaulting well, I also women. Feel and he's telling put, comedians, that, oh, that material's over well, the line. When what you a put hypocrite. yourself yeah. on a pedestal, yeah. it's a further drop. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Dr. Cosby. You know, what's he, he's a doctor of give me. The, uh, they gave me a piece of paper. Yeah, he's you a doctor I mean? of how to drug women and make them fall asleep. Yeah, like so there's a writer on the Roseanne them. show. I, I yeah. now see he's added a doctor title. Ridiculous. You know, does yeah, that make him a man, better writer? No. Yeah, yeah. Well, on his tombstone, I said it should be said, said that he's a sexual assaulter, predator, and rapist, not a comedian. The amazing part to yeah. me is that they let him out. Yeah, and I had a woman. You and I, right. you and I would have been in a lot faster than you can. Hundred percent. It's because of the power and the money. And yep. I don't care whether you're a conspiracy person or a person that is madly in love with this guy. Whatever your excuses are, fifty-three, sixty-three women, whatever it is, that don't know each other, have no reason it's to make up a similar story. Agree. There's just you know if there was three, two, one, yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I, I got to go with the victims. I, I agree. You know, I, I'm, I'm with you, man, 150%. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, we'll be back with Alan and Sabrina here in just a few minutes. And when we come back, I want to ask both of you about Richard Pryor. Uh, these are some more legends that you worked with. Rodney Dangerfield. I didn't even get into George Carlin, one of my favorites. So I want to ask you a little bit about what was it like uh, working with them. And uh, we'll take a quick break, and we'll be back right after this. You're listening to Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP. All right, welcome back to Pushing the Limits. You know, I'm honored to have these two in studio. Uh, of course, uh, Savita Swery, Sam Kennison's sister-in-law, and Alan Stephen, who is just a legend in this business, from acting to producing to writing and doing stand-up and all the legends that he's worked with over the years. It, it really is incredible. We were just talking about one of my heroes growing up, Howard Stern. He's the reason why I got into radio. 
and they both have made multiple appearances on the Howard Stern show. We were just talking about that. It's just so cool. It's so amazing. I think when you're doing shows like that, uh, you know you made it in the business. You've done something right, right? He's just a nice man. I remember I, I said to Roseanne, we were going to do the MTV Awards. Yep. And I said, why don't you do Howard? Oh, my people said no. I ain't going to listen. Why? He's just a sweet Jewish boy. <laughs> He's and funny. on the way in the limo, her hands are shaking. What's the matter? They go, they told me not to listen to you. And we went in there when we and left. And it was great, right? She had so much fun. Right. It, do you agree? Well, with, here's what yeah. I get to. About a week later, yeah. uh, I happened to have Stern on, and it's 6 in the morning in yeah. L.A. Yeah. And one of them says, well, let's call and ask Roseanne and Allen. And Howard goes, well, it's a little early there, and it's a safe bet they're not in the gym. <laughs> <laughs> So I had to call him and go, no more fat jokes or we won't come in. <laughs> the first time I did Howard Stern, I I was 16, and Sam prepared us for doing the show. He's like, you know, look, it's his show. You were in there when you were 16 years yes. old. Yes, and I'm a, the story is a testimony to how good of a person he is. With us yeah. Wow. And we go in and, you know, Sam says, look, it's his show. You not Don't fight him. Just let him steer the show. And he cuts to commercial when I'm in there, and he takes my, he goes, how old are you? Because he, it, the minute before he was sexualizing me, because you know we're in there, he doesn't know oh, anything. And I go, I was sixteen. He shut down, and like, but he, I would, you know what? That's a good, good man. Right. He like, did that for the right reasons. Asking yeah. You hold yeah. Your, and you know, and people don't understand. There's more male nudity on his show these days than female <laughs> nudity. Okay. There really is. But I've always said, Alan, and you tell me if you agree or not. I think he is the best ever at just interviewing people. Yes. He is so brilliant at get, like I remember he did an. I'll give you an example. He did an interview with Hillary Clinton last year. Okay. Hillary should have done that interview in 2016 when she was running for president. I finally saw the human factor in Hillary Clinton, which is very difficult to see. You see Hillary the politician. He got her to talk about her relationships in high school, sexual stuff. We got to learn about the real Hillary Clinton as the human being, and I just think he's so good. Uh, I just saw an interview the other day what he did with Richard Simmons, and and he he called Richard uh, feminine. He dresses, and then Richard started crying and all that, and then he follows him into the elevator and says, I'm so sorry, Richard. I'm so sorry. But I can see that the nice part of Howard. He also has some mental problems himself, right? He's got major OCD. He doesn't like being out in public. But that doesn't stop him from being extremely nice. Right. And what he used to do, what I would play a club, Rascals in North Jersey, Mm -hmm. and He'd get on the mic. He said, yeah, I'm going there every night. And you couldn't get in because he would say that. And he would never show up because, number one, the hours alone. He has to be he in the He has to wake up at like morning. 2 in the morning. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. yeah. So it was tough to get him out. But we did mm-hmm. get him out when we, the Outlaws played, uh, what's that? He, well. It, oh, I keep calling it a Nassau circus. Coliseum. Not, no, Nassau. it wasn't the Coliseum. Uh, felt for him? But, but no. Howard, but, but anyway. a lot, some people are going after, well, people have always gone after Howard. I think he's a pioneer in the business. Well, but, I also think when you're on top or you're yeah. different, as is with Roseanne, as with Sam, as with People Bill are always going to go after you. They're always going to find something. But I never thought Don about. Imus was funny. I always thought Don Imus was a disgrace and a racist. I find Imus ra- might have been good in the beginning yeah. of his career, but by the time we get to know Imus... Yeah. He's king of the hill and but, has that attitude. But I don't yeah. mean to make this political, but I'm going to. Now when you turn on the radio, we don't have Howard Stern's on the radio anymore. We have you know these Opie and Anthony type well, characters. FCC and, is the and, reason. Yeah, right-wing radio. It's all right-wing talk radio. It's all like we're Trump. And listen, well, if Dennis you su- Miller, the comic, have yeah. you seen him? Yeah. He's making 
making a fortune. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's right wing radio. Yeah, I never found his radio show ever ever good. That's I don't just know me. where to find. Uh, I and I, I just I just don't find any of these shows entertaining to listen to anymore. When I put on Howard Stern with my dad, and my dad introduced me to it, you never know what he was going to say. Well, here's here's something I loved yeah. about him. You know, nine eleven, right? Horrible day for America. He's talking about Pamela Anderson, and then he says, wow, a plane just hit the World Trade Center. He stayed on the air for like five or six hours that day, and I actually thought of all the legitimate news organizations, his coverage was the best coverage on 9-11. You know, that's talent. He's a complete professional. Yeah. Yeah. And he's on that other station because he has to be to do what he wants to do. Yeah. But comedy and stuff in general has changed. A lot. It's become homogenized. When I started, there was a comedy strike in the late 70s. Mm -hmm. With both coasts, there might have been 5,000 comics. Right. Uh, Now there's 5,000 in the alley. Yeah, you're right. They're all over the place. And it's on TV. Yeah. When I was growing up, it was Ed Sullivan or a talk show like Johnny Carson. Sure. There was nowhere to see comics. Sure, sure. There were no comedy clubs. None of that. I'm looking at a picture right now. Of you and Roseanne on the Howard Stern show. Show it to him. That's oh, that's, that's so that is so incredible. I didn't even know that's that was there. Funny. That's that, very funny. That is I've so, never seen I that. gotta go back Me and either. I gotta watch that. That is Me so either. cool, man. So what do you make of a guy like a Jimmy Fallon? I don't find him funny at all. Here's I don't what, understand Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon, listen, sometimes his monologues are funny for a guy that you know. Wasn't I'm more of a Conan a guy. I like Conan. <laughs> well, I like Letterman. I get it. Yeah. Listen, Letterman's where are you going to go after that? Yep. Everybody today, the reason there's not a talk show that can break a comic like they used to is because they're all the same. Yeah. I like Kimmel because sometimes he's a little edgier. Live from Vegas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the other Worked guy, Colbert, is a little too political sometimes yeah. for me. Yeah. And Jimmy, mm-hmm. it depends on the guest. What did you make of Jay Leno? Because Howard Stern would always accuse Jay Leno of stealing his material. You know, stay down for Conan. He'd always do that. Well, <laughs> I, I think... Well, first off, and, and you know when you do these shows, like I'm watching Drew Barrymore talk show the other day, and now it's this segment. Oh, jeez, that's got to be horrible. segment they all have. That must be terrible. Well, I was her babysitter when she was younger. Are you it's, serious? Yeah, her mom worked for me. I <laughs> no, ran, yeah. I ran no the way. How did she get store. that E.T. gig? Because that made her career. Well, mom wanted to be the actress. Oh, so whenever yeah. mom had a thing, she'd leave the I daughter. I never liked with Drew Barry. I never found her to be a great actress. She really is. Is you she? See I never her? really, I never you, really you got hear, into her. Do you know what Grey Gardens is? No. Grey Gardens. There's a documentary, and then there's the movie with yeah. Drew Barrymore. Mm-hmm. It is beyond creepy if you see that and then see the movie. Mm-hmm. Grey Gardens is a wealthy family lived in uh, Hamptons. The father divorces, gives them a salary. And the daughter never leaves and stays with the mother. The home's dilapidated. Hmm. It stinks. They live in one room. It's cats. They eat the cat food. And it turns out it's Jacqueline, uh, Jacqueline Kennedy's relatives. <laughs> so she goes and fixes the house and everything. Yep, yep. But somebody did a documentary there. Wow. And it's the creepiest, weirdest thing you'll ever see. I'll have to check that and out. And a few years later, Drew Barrymore plays the daughter. Yeah. And she does a good job. Yeah. Listen, well, she's she, obviously had a very nice career very for herself. Good I interviewed her ex-husband a couple times, Tom Green. Nice guy. He's, he's a little strange, but a nice guy. I brought up Drew Barrymore, and he's like, how would you like it if I asked you a question about your ex? And I answered him quickly, and I said, you could ask me her breast size, anything you'd like. I'll answer. I'll tell you what the sex was like. So he was shocked that I said that. I said, Tom, you can ask me anything you want about my relationship. He's like, well, let's just move on I now. Think he's, he, I don't know about now. I think they're talking now. That's but good. I, I'm sure I like Tom. Brady. I don't think yeah. he wanted out of it. So let me ask you a question. I told this to. I tell this story. You know, I was kicked out of an Andrew Dice Clay show once. Tell me if you think I was How out. How the hell did you do? Tell that? me if you think I was tell out. My of other line. best friend. 
I like Andrew Dice Clay. I love him. I think he's hilarious. He's a good guy. Degenerate gambler, but a nice guy. It's okay. I am too. But, okay, tell me this. I'm sitting front row at his show with my date. I'm dressed up, fedora, all that stuff. And he, he starts making fun of me, which I love. I love it when people make fun of me. I'm not an insert. When I go to a comedy club, I want to be insulted. I think it's funny. You guys are professionals. I like it. But he asked me a question. If a comic asked me a question, I'm going to answer it, right? That's fair, right? What do you think if a if a guy like you and a guy like me walked into a club looking the way you're looking? And I said they'd probably say, why did you take your grandpa to the show? So, you know, I'm just I'm having fun with him. You know, I'm not malicious. Everybody starts laughing. And then he asked me another question. I'm like, what is this guy doing? Just do your show. He goes, you think you're pretty funny, huh? Let me tell you something. I'm the best. Do you know I'm the best? Like, he got a little offended that I made a joke. Of so I said something that might be a little condescending and inappropriate, but he did ask me another question. So I said, if you were the best, you wouldn't be 100 people at the Riviera. Every, the crowd is laughing. Every, I'm just, it's not malicious. I, I went there to see him. I love Andrew Dice Clay. Then he says, get the F out of my show. It kicks me out. Security guard takes me out. The girl, it was a first date. She's like stunned. She doesn't know what to do. She's sitting there at a table in front. And then he looks at her as I'm walking out. He goes, good. Now I got you all alone to myself, which I thought was funny. But I'm like, is this a gag or is he really kicking me out? Uh, <laughs> he might have been in a mood <laughs> and he might have wanted your date. <laughs> Apparently. It's a funny story. So I met Dice Clay. He was doing a show at the at the Hard Rock. I, maybe I shouldn't mention this on the air, but he's your friend. Uh, I love Dice, but I heard a rumor that he owed so much money to the Hard Rock from gambling that he owed so many markers that he was doing a show at the Hard Rock to pay off those markers. Do you well, know if there's any truth off, to Let that? me give you the history of Las Vegas. Almost every entertainer that was a comic did that. Shecky Green, all of them. They go, oh, I'm staying another week. Of course you are. You, gotta, you lost all you your us money. 50 grand. You, you, owe us, you owe us 50 grand, so you got you to do a bunch of shows to pay it off. Well, he's a big gambler. You know, I've yeah. seen him win a million, and I've seen him lose a million. But he likes if you're blackjack. a big gambler, yeah. you have markers all over town. Right, but, you know, right. He, they, they who who is money. the biggest uh, you know, degenerate gambler comic that you know of? I think Dice. Worst, is Dice the worst? <laughs> no. Uh, rest is, rest is sold. Norm, Norm McDonald. I loved Norm, man. Norm was, Did I love? Norm I, would bet on games, God, which is know, insanity. Yeah. You know, 25000 that Did kind of Norm McDonald bet that much on sports? Wow. I yeah, didn't know that. He had stopped. He stopped yeah. because he realized how much money he blew through and other reasons. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, when you do this and you do it all the time, uh, it's a relief for some people. Everybody has... Yeah. You got to come down from the show. I understand show. that. So I understand Dice that. doesn't do drugs, so his his relaxing is going to the tables and throwing away twenty five thousand dollars. Right. You know. And Norm was a sports better. I met Norm McDonald at the. Uh, I met him a few times, but I met him at the Tiger Woods Phil Mickelson golf golf event they had here, and I meet him. And I I, I love the movie Dirty Work. I'm a big fan of that movie. Bob Saget, uh, Don Rickles is in it. Bob Saget directed that movie. Artie's in it. I can do without him, but I, the movie was great. So I'm talking to him, and then I go, Norm, and this is you know a few years, of course, before he passed away. He's so sad. And I said, Norm, how is Artie Lang still alive? And Norm McDonald goes, I don't know, but I got a bet he doesn't last another six months. But he just said it as a joke, you know. And and well, we were plus in that rhythm and voice he does. Oh, it's so, so great, Norm, and he made tons. 
tons of appearances on the Howard Stern show, yeah. and he was great. Who's the a- the guy who does the Affleck commercials? Uh, I met him. Oh, Gilbert. Gilbert yeah. Godfrey. Gilbert, Gilbert Godfrey is one of the weirdest guys I've ever met in my life. I meet him. Gilbert Godfrey's just walking around at the Westgate. It was the Hilton, right? And I guess he did a couple shows there, and I'm like, oh my gosh, is that Gilbert? And usually I'm not that guy, but I'm like, I got to talk to this guy. Is he that weird? So I go up to him, and I say, I love your appearance on Howard. And he goes, oh, thank you. And, and we had a conversation. I guess it was the most... I can talk to anybody. It was one of the most awkward conversations I've ever had. I'm talking to Gilbert. He's he's a weird guy. Very strange yeah. guy. But, but he knows that, which is kind of funny. Yeah. yeah. And you got to realize someone married him. That's true. Hilarious. That is true. <laughs> that is true. Affleck. Someone's going, Dad. That is that is that is somewhat interesting. So you guys were able to to work with and get to know a guy like a Richard Pryor, one of the well, best when in the business. I was at the comedy store. The renaissance of comedy happens in the late 70s. Yep. Everybody that went on became somebody. Mm-hmm. Everybody. So on a normal night, the nobodies are Letterman, Leno, mm-hmm. Elaine Boozler, Andy Kaufman, the drop-ins a lot of times, Steve Martin, Billy Crystal, wow. Rodney. Pryor did all his albums there. And all his developed all his shows that were filmed for movies there. Wow! And it's a community, so we all know each other. And Paul Mooney was his head writer, and Paul had a few of us that he found funny, and we'd all give jokes to Richard and help him with his act, and he couldn't have been sweeter. Oh, that is so cool! Well, uh, one of the best of all time, a legend. Uh, George Carlin, I would put him in there as well. Did you get to know George? Over the years, yeah, he used to come in. Was he Rick, was Richard he miserable? Like, was he a miserable no, guy, or was he the opposite? No, he was such a good human being, like such a decent really? person. Of, yeah, earned his wings. Yeah. yeah, he starts. He's straight and in a suit, and Mary, uh, not Mary Tyler Moore, that girl's agent, Marlo Thomas's agent oh, wow. on that TV show. Yeah, then he's part of a very straight comedy <laughs> team, and then he becomes a cheek, no chong. Oh, I love that. And that album hits, but that's Smash not it. who Carlin is. His, his Carlin bit... goes on, in my mind, yeah. to be one of the greatest philosophers of all time. Agree. Yeah, mm-hmm. agree. His bit uh, on Republicans comedy. and abortion and, and, and social issues. Not all your kids are going to make it. Oh, God. Oh, not that. all your kids are sweet. <laughs> I got his his bit on just social issues in general. Bombing just I die, people. I die. It's just hilarious. What he developed into is is a rarity. I don't think he gets he really enough is. credit mm-hmm. for how brilliant he was. Where yeah. Richard gets, you know, everybody knows Richard, but Richard was he. It was more boisterous mm-hmm. and a different time. So. Mm-hmm. You know, since you're a, a writer and a producer, I just feel like they don't make movies like they used to. And I know I sound old saying that, but I say you know, it every 10 even minutes. the 90s, I mean, even the 90s, I think of movies like, for example, Shawshank Redemption, like a movie like that. You know, we just, it's all about the well, explosions. I grew up, there was annoying, dirty, funny kids. Uh, uh, <laughs> right. Uh, Liberty something with James Caan. Uh-huh. The kid had a foul mouth. Now his you, son is a douchebag. You by the rarely way. see James Conn's son. I, I've, I've met him a few times. He's a complete douchebag. I have a friend who married his mother. Oh, jeez. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I just yeah, I'm, I, James Conn legend. His son, not somebody I'm yeah. a big fan of well, personally. Yeah. But James <laughs> has his days too. Yeah. Yes, I'm sure. I met James Conn and I interviewed him uh, when they had the new Mob Museum opened up, and and uh, he couldn't have been nicer. He couldn't have been nicer. He was so cool. Um, but I think of you know. Legends in the past, actors, actresses, and and uh, legendary films, and I think of the '80s and the '90s, and I'm only forty. I'm only forty-one years old, 
But I think of the movie, not a lot of movies that I can say, wow, what a great movie in the last 10, 15 years. I think it's all garbage. Not well, all. There's some good stuff. But most I mean, of it is superheroes because they do billions of dollars. Right. And the studios aren't the way they used to be. Mm-hmm. They're all conglomerates. Mm-hmm. So the bottom line is the dollar. Mm-hmm. So it's very hard. Even independent movies mm-hmm. have gotten more mainstream and don't do it. I think it's of a very movie like hard to make a five that makes million sense. dollar movie. And I think of a movie like Casino, for example, one of my favorite movies of all time, and and so real, right? I think of all the mobster scenes and and, and that stuff. You know, so many so many iconic films. Before the year 2010, maybe, uh, 80s and 90s. And, and, and then I think of today. Well, I'm a film buff. You can yeah. go, you know, I go all the way Falling back Down with Michael Douglas is actually one of my favorites. Great film. I feel like it was undervalued. Yes, it was. Don't you? Th- I love that movie. Yes, it was. I, I think some people couldn't handle I loved it. what he was playing. I loved it. Like, he did such me, a great the, job. The scariest movie I've ever seen is the one he's in with Glenn Close. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She wants to kill him. To me, yeah. that's a horror film. Yeah, I thought uh, the Perfect Murder was pretty good too. Yeah, uh, I thought I, 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 he's a brilliant actor. Brilliant. See, actor. I, I like I, I'm, I like Capra films. Mm-hmm. I like Wilder films. Pocket Full of Miracles. Oh sure, some yeah. like it hot. What do you make of a guy like Ed Norton? Because I hear so many brilliant actor, love his movies, but I've heard he's such a jerk to work with. He's the worst. Like he's a nightmare. Well, he is an input guy. Yeah, and he plays like the some, director in a some movie. Some people yeah. will take it. Mm-hmm. Most won't. But what he does works, though. So what it, you think it's a, a situation where the director doesn't want to deal with an actor, that's, and it's like ego? Like, why wouldn't you li- – I can understand why it could be annoying, but why wouldn't well, you listen to a guy like that? He seems to know what he's talking about. There's a lot of reasons. One, yeah. director has his own vision. Mm-hmm. Not all directors uh, uh, play with the other actors. Right. right. You know, Hitchcock would rehearse – for almost a year sometimes, yeah. in a warehouse. Yeah. So by the time he went to... And by the way, he shot in order, so not to confuse anybody. Right, 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 right. So you didn't mess with him. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're doing Neil Simon, you don't go up to Neil and go, yeah, I don't think this works. Understandable. Who are the people that both of you, uh, people, big name people that maybe you hang out with in Hollywood? I'm just curious. You've been in the business. You both of you have been in the business for such a long time. Who, what's like a normal, you know, who are the people, well, it, a, the A-listers that you guys hang out with? Is. Like, I went through a period where I was crazy about Debbie Reynolds. Debbie Reynolds. I had her wow. on the show. That's a legend, baby. Yeah, yeah. I had her on the show and just to hang out with her. I like old show business. So when you hang out with her, she'll break into songs. So you're not Harry hanging out with Justin Bieber, then. That's what you're saying. No, well, we are, we have a, we <laughs> Liza Minnelli, if you have her at a party, she's going to sing. That's but so cool. We have a lot of rock star friends like Rudy Sarzo. Oh, Rudy, sure. Rudy and Rebecca. Yeah. Quiet Riot, brother. Yeah, Quiet Riot. Riot. <laughs> we, Quiet we Riot. T- we, comics and musicians have a, Real quick. a synergy. Doesn't the lead singer of Quiet Riot live here? No, he's no, dead. No, he's dead. Oh, I'm, I'm an idiot. Kevin. Rudy. Who am I thinking of? I'm thinking of another band. Uh, uh, the, uh, Motley Crue. Yes. Uh, who, who are you I think you Rudy. Oh, all right. I'm at Rudy's house one <laughs> yeah, day. Yeah. And Rudy weighs all of maybe 90 pounds. <laughs> and I was bigger. And I look down, and he has one of those vibrating belts on. I go, what is that for, Rudy? He goes, it's helping me tighten up and lose weight. And I go, Rudy, you don't think I'd have 15 of them on? 
that probably doesn't work. Yeah. That was my point. What is what is like the you? We only have a few minutes left here, but like I would imagine you must have a crazy L.A. Hollywood type story, night in the town with people that maybe some All don't know. You must have some crazy Hollywood stories party. with Sam. I mean, uh, you you have nights where you're out with like Pryor, maybe Rodney Dangerfield. Well, here's a quick Pryor one. Yeah. I had a little apartment in Pryor's area. We were waiting for somebody, and above yeah. me lives a young black couple, and there is a you know one of those heaters on the wall where you can hear everything. And we were loud, and the husband upstairs says, go down and tell that kid to shut up. <laughs> and Pryor goes, go in the bathroom, I'll get the door. And she comes, and you know, Richard Pryor? He goes, you leave my little white buddy alone. <laughs> so now she goes upstairs, and we're by the heater. Richard Pryor, down there in that dump with that idiot. <laughs> You hear him coming down the steps, and Richie goes, I'll be in the bathroom. You get the door. Oh, my God. That is, you must have so many stories like that, too. Gosh, that is so awesome. All right. Well, I guess I have, I'll ask you this question. You don't have to answer it if you don't want to. Who do you think is the most overrated comedian right now in Hollywood? Like, who, do you, who is somebody uh, you It'd don't care? It would be easier for me to answer who I like because yeah. it's only a few. <laughs> right. I think they're all overrated. Yeah. A Chesnick, what's his name? Is funny. David Tall is always like funny Bill to Burr. me. I like Bill oh, Bill Burr is the best. Bill yeah, Burr is funny him. to me. I like Ian Bag. He, 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 Ian Bag he hurts the audience. He's got a little yes. bit. Yes. He's got he's a good. little bit of what you do. Yeah. You know, he's. It's not the same show every time. I want to sit front row. I just don't understand people who don't want to. You know, who, who are afraid of being uh, insulted. It's like when you go to a comedy club, you're there to laugh. You're there to have a good time, right? Some people don't like to be the one that slips on the banana. <laughs> right. I want to be that guy. I want you to call me a bald idiot or whatever. I, I find that funny. I want to be insulted. When I do long shows, I get into a zone. <laughs> yeah. So if somebody's coming to see me that I know, yeah. nobody's allowed in my eyesight because I can't control once I'm in that zone. Yeah, of course. I'll attack yeah. you, and if I know personal stuff yeah. about you. And yeah. It's also, when Alan does it, it's not like, it's not mean. He gets away with it in no, such a it's smooth not. way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I think it's that's a It's very still funny like, and very talented. He's what, still likable when he does it. I want to plug your stuff. What do you guys got going on? Any upcoming shows that you want to talk well, about? On the 28th, I'll be back at The Wise Guys. The Wise Guys. The 28th? The guys. Yes. Who are you uh, with up there? Uh, I'm going to open there. for Paulie's one-man show I'll again. I'll go back. Stick I'll go to back. the dancing. It's the best show That Paulie's was a great show, by the so way. Long. That was, well, he's getting ready. To, that was a great... Uh, Paulie's a nice guy. He's working up to filming it. I, I love it. I, I love the fact that Paulie lives here. At the end of his show was a little sad, though, because he's talking about how he's alone. And I'm well, like, yes and no. Yeah. He's basically saying, look, I grew up. Yeah. Nice guy. And he is that sensitive. He's just. Going I want more his... Playboy stories, though. I, I told him. I said, "You got to give me a little more. I need a little more of the Playboy stuff." <laughs> I've been up to the Playboy Mansion a bunch of times. Oh, don't tell me that. Very I'm jealous. <laughs> there jealous. was a time when I was younger that I looked like Mel Gibson. <laughs> so the porn no, star. I don't know if that's a good thing, the right porn, now. <laughs> the porn. Well, here's what I did. I, I, I did a movie, and his name's there. Right. So I called up the, the guild, and I said, "He's not getting my checks." And she said, what do you mean? I go, this is going to sound weird to you. But I used to look like Mel Gibson, and sadly, now he looks like me. (laughs) 
You know, you guys are awesome, man. I mean, I could talk to you guys forever with these stories. You guys are both obviously legends in the business. I'm so glad that uh, you're coming back to, and doing shows with Paulie because I think that's great. Both you guys are awesome. Well, family, he's you. family to me. Yeah, he's he's great. And uh, his father, uh, the late father, I, I, I met him. I was lucky enough to meet him. Great. I will be there. Okay, so 28th, you'll be back 28th, out there at Wise Guys. 7.30 p.m. at Wise Guys. That's 1511 South Main Street. Mm-hmm. Paulie Shores, one-man show. Stick with the dancing, March 28th, 7.30 p.m. I love it. I will be there. You guys are awesome. I cannot thank you guys. Thank you. I cannot thank you guys, both of you, enough for being here. This has been a lot of fun, man. I, I could talk I could talk forever with them. The stories are unbelievable. Uh, Sabrina <laughs> Swery and Alan Steven, please check out Alan on the 28th, as they just said. Wise Guys Comedy Club. He's opening up for Paulie Shore. And, uh, oh, and I'll be on Vice next month on oh, Showtime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no way. Yeah. That's Dark a good, side of comedy. That's awesome. Yeah. I watched that. Yeah, that's that's great. Thank you guys both for being here. You're welcome. This really has been a pleasure. Thank you for having of us. Of course. Thank anytime. You, you guys Thank are you. welcome back anytime. I appreciate that. All right, folks, that's a wrap. Uh, we'll be back on 22 hours from now. We're going to take a little break tomorrow. We do got to do a little NCAA basketball, right? It's March Madness. The NCAA tournament uh, actually starts tonight, but the main bracket on Thursday. Chris Wynn will be joining us in studio. I hope everybody has a great day. We will see you tomorrow. Same time, same place. That was